I was in second grade when my family moved from the only home I had ever known. I was eight years old, and even though we were only relocating to the other side of town, losing all semblance of familiarity was a bit overwhelming. We went through a continuous cycle of packing up items in boxes, loading a trailer to capacity, and driving it to our new home where everything we owned was eventually unloaded. As the day lingered toward dusk, we were soon left cleaning the last crevices of a house that held my only notion of identity until it was nothing but empty. Moving causes a certain dislocation, where one's concept of life sways between two stories, one being over and one just beginning. The sun continued its inevitable descent, and the only task left was to scan the old home for leftover trash. There are always the random items, too, giving a last-ditch effort of rebellion, not wanting to leave their home behind, just as I was. But then, once all semblance of inhabitants was gone, my mother and I walked out of the back door for what would be the last time. We made our way from the detached garage down our driveway that ran along the home, and to the car waiting to chauffeur us to a whole new world and a whole new landscape as a whole new person. I looked at the arrangement of wood and concrete and metal that I once called home knowing that what I knew for eight meager years would forever just be an arrangement of materials. It would never be home again. Dusk fell, and the transition of evening marked the transition of life. As my mom turned the ignition, I stared out the window one last time and wept. This is the Becoming Human podcast where I try to explore the experience of being alive and ask how we live as the best versions of ourselves, from history and psychology to philosophy and social ethics. Everything is on the table. And today, I want to look at why we do things like have birthdays and anniversaries, these yearly moments of marking an event, or why we look at old pictures and nostalgically reminisce on the sublime. Why do we do the same yearly traditions and holidays and seasonal rhythms? It's not a new process either. Ever since written history, people have had rhythms to their year that helped make sense of the world they were navigating, reflecting on the past and setting intentions for the days to come. The dates change, the traditions change, but the process is quite the same. And we should do these things, because we are constantly dealing with change and loss, from death to moving to new jobs or transitions in our communities or economies or social systems or culture. We graduate, we make new friends and lose old ones. We grow and learn and fail and have our routines disrupted while gaining new insights all at the same time. The working assumption in this episode is that change is constantly occurring. I do adhere to process philosophy for the most part, and whether biologically, geologically, relationally, socially, or psychologically, what have you, I'm presuming that change is natural and unavoidable. Our known worlds are constantly ending all the while we are constantly moving into the uncharted territory of new worlds. The question then is how do we interact with change well? We went through the tactile specifics of this back in the earliest episodes of the podcast and just recently we looked at the relationship between the past and the future, tradition and progress, but here 
as a new year begins, there's another dynamic I want to bring up. How do we embrace the change of life in general? How do we process change well within this very human experience? And why is New Year's Day a good time to think about these things? I'm not talking about resolutions or habit tracking. It's like our modern calendar provides us with a wonderful opportunity to do what is a very human and very necessary process. Adapt to our ever-changing world. And as a new year begins in our civil calendar, we are primed for the first step in this process. So, I want to get into a Hebrew word that has helped me embark on this never-ending journey. I want to look at the role of rituals, and I want to unpack what I call synchronization and why it is important for those of us who have lives that deal with change. Real quick before we get started, as this is what might be called an indie podcast, uh, I don't have a big production team or a company pulling all the strings here. I'm literally in my house with meager equipment I've managed to get my hands on, and I'm doing the research, writing, production, all of it on my own. So if you're willing to leave a review, subscribe, tell someone about this, or even just like keep listening, I, I would appreciate it. Uh, there is the financial option on a site called Coffee. It's like Patreon, but you can just leave a tip if you thought something was worth your resources, or you can do the monthly thing. That's at ko-fi.com slash becominghuman. And if you want to peruse other content I make, there's all sorts of articles on all sorts of subjects over at tylerkleberger.com. That's enough. Let's get into it. Let's learn. Let's grow. And let's become more human. This episode is a bit personal for me. I mean, since second grade, I guess I've been trying to figure this out. But I've always had this penchant for thinking about the relationship between time and experience. Some, some call me a, a sentimentalist, but I'm, I'm fascinated by how stories weave together and how our narratives are built upon moments and decisions that end and begin all at the same time. And for me, this past year was particularly full and full of change. In, in January of 2022, we found out we would be having another child, our fourth. As it goes, we had not planned on such an addition, and we're even taking certain precautions. And we have a relatively small home to try and fit six people in. We've also got one vehicle, and let's just say a very philanthropic salary. So we were going to need a second car. We need to find ways to add space to our home. And with some anticipated financial weights, we were going to need more income. Um, so later that month, I decided to make a change in my current job that I had had for about 10 years and start looking for additional work. I always enjoyed the work I did, but it could only pay me a part-time salary. So I always just did that. Well, I needed to do something else. I ended up taking on two additional jobs and then a new athletic coaching position in the same breath. Uh, I also got contracted to write a book, which was great, but would be due to come out right at the same time as the new baby. Um, we also decided to start raising sheep amongst our other agricultural stuff. Our children's involvement in extracurriculars continued to spread us a bit thin. Our normal patterns of life were just completely different. Um, not to mention a bunch of relationship changes that just so happened to unfold in the midst of it all. 
So 2022 was chaotic and completely different from the life we had known for the past decade. We were on new ground. But there was this moment in December where all of that came to a certain stillness. I coach football at a local high school where uh, I also took one of my new jobs. And the school itself became a sort of base station for our family. We spent a lot of time there. I take my children with me whenever it was needed. Um, but they also enjoyed just being around and being a part of some cool things. Well, the, the football season went pretty well, which meant additional weeks. Uh, in most states in the U.S., high schools go to playoffs to determine a champion. Um, so what was already a very full rhythm of life with immense change and chaos continued an extra six weeks. <clears throat> It was a lot, but my family also kind of enjoyed it. But that all came to a head on December 1st. The team I coached for made it to the state championship and got to play in this massive stadium where the NFL Hall of Fame is in Ohio. Uh, we did win the game, but afterwards, there was this really cool moment. My family was sitting in the front row on, on our sideline. And the game ends and everyone starts celebrating, but I had this inclination like, I just needed to go be with my family. And I ran over to them and I climbed the wall and, and we just stood there and embraced. And it wasn't because we just won a game. It wasn't just because it was cold, which it was. None of us needed to say it, but it felt like that moment capitulated the chaotic experience of the past 12 months. We just stood there realizing that we had entered a whole new world and that moment sort of marked this massive shift in reality that we had all been enduring. It, that moment created for us a moment between the moments. And it's like we finally had a chance to pay attention, to acknowledge the ground that was now under our feet. And that, my friends, is what I have come to call synchronization. So, what is synchronization? Well, it's a simple concept, and it steals from a lot of different fields. And as far as I know, it's not nominally claimed by any like single theory, uh, but process philosophy, for example, it deals with constant change and becoming and the process involved with recognizing that which is changing and becoming. Or psychologically, it deals with uh, the intrapersonal recognition of the self. In communication, there's also a theory on relational evolution, where it's important to name the status of a relationship within its beginning middle and end and the middle is in constant flux and you got to be aware of where that is or sociologically i i think it would be hard to find a sociologist who doesn't talk about this on a cultural level emil durkheim max weber or brofenbrenner ad infinitum society is constantly creating norms and altering norms trying to figure out how things work and where things should go next that's basically the entire field I would guess that almost every field has some articulation of this concept. But essentially, synchronization is the idea that within the natural change of our lives in the world, we have a choice to make. The world and landscape that you have known changes. You enter a new landscape that is unfamiliar, though it is dependent on the one you experienced previously even though that previous habitat no longer exists in the same way. And you have to decide, 
Will you align with the new world under your feet? Or will you try to recreate the previous world within this new reality, even though that is now inaccessible? Essentially, we can synchronize with the changes making up our current life, or we can try to replicate a landscape that is no longer there. It is understanding the context of your existence, much of which is outside of your control, and making decisions based on what is, even if it isn't ideal, even if it isn't the way things were before. And I've hinted at this in previous episodes uh, on death and grief, but this is an example of proactive versus reactive responses. Reactive involves pretending. Proactive involves honest acceptance that adapts. And you've probably met people who act and behave like like they're living in a world that doesn't exist anymore. And those can be rooted in issues of grieving and loss, but they can also deal with like a general lack of honesty with basic things that are just different now. And we do this with death, but we also do this with relationships. We do this with age. uh, We do this with growth. We do this with every facet of life. The point is that we orient ourselves toward the reality of the ground that is actually under our feet, a lot of which has changed based on influence is out of our control, and most of which aren't inherently like negative experiences. The road you are traveling should be the actual road you're on, not, not a pretend one you've constructed in your head. But you have to be honest about it. You have to see it for what it is. And, and once you've centered your attention on your reality and all the components coalescing together, you have to know what the right step is to take. S- standing in the driveway, I was having this awareness of synchronization. When my family embraced after that game, we were seeing all the parts of our life and taking a breath of shared reality in a moment where we were able to acknowledge what was. It is the sort of debriefing a getting on the same page. And, and we tend to do this with major things if we slow down long enough. But synchronization is about paying attention to all of it. Yet, once you've made a choice to pay attention, you still have to make a choice of what you will do with it. All right. So I'd like to give an illustration. And, and part of the reason I use this illustration is because it was the first real connection I made to go, oh, that, that makes sense. I'm also just fascinated by the example, but this illustration helps show how the concept of synchronization is much larger than typical self-help stuff and how it requires both awareness and action. Yes, there's the whole be in the moment, don't be weighed down by your past, take time for you. That's all great stuff, and, and those things can be incorporated into the idea of synchronization, but this deals with a general pattern of life within your life as a whole. So, what's the example? Climactic isotherms and the sooty copper butterfly, which is actually based on a study done in the 1990s and early 2000s. Uh, So, a climactic isotherm is probably something you're actually familiar with, and if you're not, then you've at least experienced them. This is the reason that there are people in Ohio who venture on the modern equivalent of being semi-nomadic by living in Florida for the winter. We call them snowbirds. Basically, climactic isotherms are these horizontal bands that give regions different climates, like a zone hardiness map that gardeners 
may be familiar with. In this study, a group of scientists used the sooty copper butterfly to analyze how climactic isotherms changed and how those changes affect the biology of an area. Essentially, what do weather pattern changes do to species with specific living conditions of which butterflies are quite sensitive? And since isotherms are not static, you know, like most things in life, what happens if they shift? Well, the sooty copper butterfly was native to a climactic isotherm that spanned from Spain all the way over to Latvia. The short story, in the late 1990s, this isotherm began shifting, and they began to find that there was almost no presence of the sooty copper in Spain, and for the first time, the butterfly was being found in Estonia. The isotherm shifted, and so did the butterflies. And that's the illustration. As the world around us moves, as we develop and change and wake up and slow down and have conflicts and suffer and experience social and cultural and economic and global movements that make the world different, we can either move accordingly or be left behind. And it isn't about getting with the times. It, it is that you can't try to exist in a world that isn't there. It's not about being woke or having the newest technology it is about realizing how the world around you is different than it was before, and it's almost different in every moment. Like how your relationships are different than they were before, how you are different than you were before. You have an ever-changing deck of cards. It's about knowing what you are playing with and then making the appropriate move. If you lose a bunch of money, you can pretend that you are still wealthy and keep spending, or you can adjust. If there's a conflict with a friend, you can keep treating them in the same way or you can acknowledge what's going on. If you're having another child, you can just run your household the same way you were before or you can make some changes. This is the process of calling a meeting or debriefing a situation. In the context of big events, this is sometimes called re-entry. Something happens and you have to re-enter a space that might look the same but has added components to it now. And it's a little bit different. You, you have to take the time to go, okay, what is different now? What has changed? Where are we at? And synchronization is this process of just considering, okay, this is what it is now. And you take the time to see what you have to do to adjust accordingly. You realize that Spain isn't going to work. And you now include Estonia in your new reality. Or you try to stay in Spain and... Well, there were no sooty copper butterflies that survived. So, that's synchronization, proactive responding, re-entry, whatever you want to call it is fine. It's when you take the time to adjust to an ever-changing world. Now, with this New Year's conversation, I want to emphasize the first step that is the most important, and it's what I've been alluding to, paying attention. It's the same as the first step in the morning process that we explored back in episode 37. This is sometimes referred to as acceptance. And this is where it's important to realize that mourning is not just reserved for physical death, and it isn't just reserved for negative losses. All change is technically a loss of something, even if the loss is perceived to lead to something good. And acceptance plays a role in that too. In change, the first step 
to a healthy, proactive response that allows us to make the transition between what was and what is, is by being aware of what was and what now is. This also begins with an honest acknowledgement that something has changed and noticing what it has changed. And I know that sounds overly simple. Like, did we really need this amount of rambling to say, hey, be aware of the stuff in your life? Well, if we are good at it, then no. But I don't think we're good at it. The hope is that by naming it and suggesting it, we can start normalizing it. And honestly, it isn't that we don't know that this is a thing. It's that we don't do it. And we don't do it because we rarely stop long enough to consider it. And that's why this first step is so important. In the midst of this shifting, there needs to be a pause that allows you to see where you were, where you are, and where you need to go next. Which brings me to the Hebrew word that has helped me with all of this. It comes from the book of Genesis and the Hebrew Bible, which opens with this origin story, or you might call it an etiology, a way to explain why the world is what it is. And the first chapter is actually a poem. Essentially, Genesis begins by giving the reader a picture of why the world was made. What is the essence in their perspective of existence? And this is where you get the famous line, let there be light. But there's a whole section before that, which is also trying to say something about the world. Because before the light thing, before there's really anything, the picture that the Jewish people presented is this chaos, a formless void and darkness. It's the Hebrew phrase, tohu vavohu, and it captures this deep, mysterious, dystopian water of nothingness. But that isn't the Hebrew word I'm talking about yet, because right in the midst of that, there is this other line. The breath or spirit or wind of Elohim was moving over the face of the waters. So the let there be light thing, it's about to happen. But before that, there's this shift from one state of being to another. And it seems kind of trivial, uh, but the ancient rabbinic commentaries point out how there's this awareness from the divine that a great transition is occurring. Because the word that in English typically gets translated as moving is the Hebrew word rakaf. Sometimes it is translated as hovering or spreading, but the word really doesn't have an English equivalent. Elsewhere, the same word is used to describe a mother bird brooding over a hatching egg. At another place in the Hebrew Bible, this same word is used to describe a mother's embrace of her dead child in this intimate, heartbreaking, world-changing moment. Rakaf expresses this moment of deep, profound intimacy where you are interacting with the full presence of something in a transformative movement where the world will never be the same again. And Genesis begins with Rakaf, this sort of holy ceasing. The first act of creation in the Jewish tradition is the divine stopping, seeing, naming, and marking the reality of what was and what it is about to be. And that, I believe, is the first step of our constant navigation of a changing world. That's how you pay attention. You recognize that what was familiar is now shifting. So you stop. You pause. You have that holy ceasing that kind of weaves in the nature of being human. 
You take a moment to wrap your perception around this movement of life. You acknowledge that a story is over and a new one is unfolding in the midst of your previous version of life. Before you do something, you stop to grasp the transition taking place because a whole new world is emerging and you need to intentionally move with it. So you have to center that transition right in front of you. You have to make sure that you see it. You have to make sure that you understand the depth of what you are handling because what is now gone and what is going to be are different. So you have to make sure you do what you have to do so that you can move with it to a new beginning. Rakaf is the internal equivalent to walking through the world and intentionally seeing the next step with your soul. As you leave one parcel of footing behind, you make sure you fully embrace the next step by paying attention to where you have walked and where you intend to walk next. Which is why I think, as a second grader, I cried in the driveway with my mother. I didn't know it then, but I was recoughing, which isn't a word, but it should be. I was feeling the loss and acknowledging where things were going. I was sitting in the moment between moments. That's the invitation of synchronization. That's what I mean by paying attention. That before one movement just flows right into the next one, you create a moment, a space within that, that allows you to make sure you are handling all of the parts moving around. And the issue being here is what happens if you don't? What happens if one moment just keeps flowing into the next moment for the endless amount of time until you die? What happens if you just walk without paying attention? Or even worse, you walk on a terrain while pretending it's the same terrain you were just on not taking the time to realize that the road curves. Well, it'll send you right off of a cliff. The failure to mark the moment and sit and rakaf and have this proactive re-entry into the new within the old, the failure of not having the intimate anticipation that acknowledges the new landscape, what it does is it leads us to misusing the past, disconnecting from the present, and ultimately missing the future. I genuinely think there are dangers and even penalties for not taking this seriously, for having this fantasy of thinking, we can continue on in what is now only a memory, or if we're just so distracted by the onslaught of moments that we never sit and see them for what they are. We never have that moment in between the continuous moments piling up all around us. In contrast, synchronizing where we have been with where we are and where we are headed that's how we actually use this process of life and healthily change in a proactive, constructive way. All right, so what does this all have to do with New Year's? Well, there is certainly the resolution dynamic, but I think that New Year's is simply our culture's version of the synchronizing ritual that has really been around for ages. Most cultures have had some sort of festive day where there's a collective stopping that interacts with the past and anticipates the future. This is why January is called January. It's based on the deity Janus that was looking backward and forward at the same time. What is interesting is that one, 
ancient cultures seem to have a lot more days with very specific rituals aimed at guiding the collective human journey. And two, they seem to be way more explicit about its purpose. And I definitely recommend like Emil Durkheim's work on the collective unconscious and totems and all of that if you're interested in more of those specifics throughout history. Now, the modern world certainly seems to like its holidays, uh, but, but we often come to believe that the idea of a ritual is antiquated or primitive or superficial. And I get the sentiment, while ritualistic days in other cultures did have a good bit of superstitious nonsense, um, also had its fair share of corruption, these rituals all had a corporate purpose, to provide a space to set intentions for a transitioning and shifting world. Rituals help create a moment between the moments. Ritual days were all about taking time and space to engage with what we might not otherwise make time for. And I think we should bring that back because it's a valuable process that, that honestly was probably more to think back then because collective consciousness was more necessary to everyone's survival than it is now. But the value is still there. And I think it's still in our DNA. I think we still yearn for this kind of ritualistic pattern. It's almost as if there's this innate need to have periodic invitations to come together to mark an event or season of change. And we do it individually. We have personal birthday parties. We have anniversaries. But New Year's is kind of the only cultural day where the opportunity for this ancient art form is most available collectively. Like, at this point, most of the world is kind of engaging in this in some way. And in a very distracted, modern, civilized, and supposedly enlightened culture like ours, I think we should be okay with claiming it as a form of ritual synchronization for us today. I honestly think we could learn from these ancient people. And the world isn't all that different than it was millennia ago. There are still just as much changes and shifts and moves being made, if not more. What's different is that we don't pay attention a whole lot. We have this tendency to go through the motions of our norms and routines on the conveyor belt of existence that also comes with the modern world. And we don't tend to take the time to pay attention to the moving ground under our feet. So yeah, I think New Year's Day might be the modern equivalent of ritual synchronization, an opportunity to do all of this that we've been talking about, to collectively reset within the cycles and rhythms of life. It could be a built-in moment to take the time and space to pause, pay attention, and recough within an ever-changing world. So, as you begin a new year, I hope you will consider joining the millions of human beings before you and alongside of you who took the time to synchronize their lives and their worlds with the horizon of stories constantly before us. Pay attention to what landscapes are shifting in your life. What's changing? What's evolving? And how can you properly adapt to it? What do you need to do in this rhythmic time of pausing while looking backwards and forwards to see and be aware and acknowledge what you're handling? What is unfolding for you in your life? Maybe there's a new understanding or a growth or a discovery, and it might be bringing about some new ways of being. How have you changed? 
What events are ricocheting your life in new directions? What unforeseen obstacles have altered your journey? Where are you headed now? What about your relationships? What routines have changed? What loss have you experienced? The invitation is to take that breath. Sit in those still, mysterious waters. Have that pause of the moment between the moments. Before you keep walking, before you start the next day or season or continue the normal routine, take the time to synchronize. I mean, we do this with our smartphone software. I think we can afford to do it with our lives. Don't leave yourself behind and just run into the future. Rakoff. Or else the rug of existence is going to get pulled out from underneath you. And I think a lot of times we have this whole sentiment of like, ah, oh, time just passes by. It sure goes quick, don't it? And I think that happens because we don't do this. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves in a world that looks kind of unfamiliar and we're going, oh, where did it all go? Well, you weren't paying attention. You weren't keeping your hand on the pulse of the daily changes occurring all of the time. And it isn't about like taking proper rest or slowing down. That's all fine. This is about seeing. This is about paying attention. This is about holding all of those things in one moment and going, okay, I see what's going on here. You got to know what you're holding. So go have the conversation, chart the experience, turn off the conveyor belt and allow yourself to catch up with your world. See the movement of the road and set your intentions accordingly. Be still and brood over the world before a new one unleashes. Before you do whatever you're going to do next, stand in the driveway and let the fullness of life just be there for a moment. That's what synchronization is all about. And it starts with vulnerably confronting what is changing including the possible losses involved, and having this intentional awareness of what is, what is different, and what needs to happen next in an ever-changing world. Happy New Year's. Don't leave yourself behind, but thanks for listening.